Hello and welcome to Oilcast. I'm Greg Newman, the CEO of Onyx Capital Group, and today I'm joined with Julian Keats, who is a director at Onyx Capital Advisory. Hi. So every week we drill down into movers and shakers that affect oil and oil swap markets. Uh, today we're going to be discussing the recent sell-off in oil futures, the Omicron variant and its market impact, and we're also going to go into a bit of detail about the current state of uh, financing in the current oil market. A quick reminder before we start, this is filmed in person, so you can go to our YouTube channel to check that out. Okay, so let's start with uh, the wider oil markets. We had you know, a very aggressive sell-off on, on Friday, and we've kind of been uh, depressed uh, since. So what do you reckon's been going on there? Okay, so I think there, there's a little bit of lead up, just very quickly, in terms of Friday. First off, in, back in June, OPEC Plus get together and coordinate an increase in supply. So the background is you know, OPEC is, is, is helping the supply side of the equation. And at the end of the day, you know, in the last month, two months or so, the United States has coordinated a special petroleum reserve uh, uh, increase into the market to dampen the huge rally in prices. Okay, so both of these factors have, have a bearish flavour to them. But really, though you know, the SPR release really isn't in itself the thing that's pushed this down, really Friday's all about Omicron mm. and this new COVID variant and you know, its impact on market. And this has led to this huge you know, Red Friday, the meltdown that we saw, 10%, $12 a barrel drop. So Omicron itself um, is, is a variant of real concern, mm. right? We've got very little data on it. It first crops up Friday. It's in the news. The market reacts very negatively. We look at South Africa, the bit of data that we have in South Africa, the Delta variant from back this summer that was very virulent and also transmitted very, very quickly. That took 100 days to get to where Omicron's got to today in terms of transmission. Transmission. So Omicron is hugely transmissible, it mm. seems, from the little limited so data. So the financial market took that news abruptly and violently, right? It was a very Absolutely. wide sell-off across stocks, even across Bitcoin, crypto, everything, and then of course right? oils, everything. But it was, the key thing is that, you know, we've been talking for the last few weeks about the overcommitted length. We felt oil was going that way anyway, personally, Onyx, obviously people, everyone has their view, yep. but it was certainly had signs of exhaustion, but we absolutely collapsed on Friday. So that's got to be a flow thing. It was, it was a horrible trading environment. I think even if you were short, it was difficult to make money because it was bouncing around all that, but you, it, you, you it, felt options place, or something to do with that. So I think you're absolutely right. It's a capitulation of those weak, the yeah. weak length in the market, people rebalancing their, 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 their books. Um, and, and of course, this is harking back to the worries that you know we had back in 2020, and we had a $55 barrel move over the course of two months on Brent, right, with a 15 million barrel destruction in demand. And those two facts are really important when we sort of analyse out of Omicron and what might happen. Well, you have something year. tangible now for the market yes. to worry about because everyone believed that the market was very, very tight, and there was just no way it could go lower. Um, but then you just got a new narrative that is. Are we going back to 2020? Yes. And that, you know, that's obviously something no one wants to take the risk on. No. So I think you're absolutely yeah. right. It's hugely uncertain time, and oil is very difficult to predict its price in any, you know, throughout the 30 years that I've been involved in the oil markets. But the last two years have been 
probably the most tricky, yeah. especially yeah. tricky, right? Especially uncertain. And you know, Omicron itself, we don't have data, you need data. Um, the epidemiologists, the South African epidemiologists, uh, and, and the Israeli epidemiologists are all saying they hope the vaccines, and they think the vaccines might work, especially Pfizer. In fact, Israel came out with an announcement yesterday that they think Pfizer is effective against Omicron, that there is an efficacy here. But that's really the key thing with this variant, uh, variant concern is just how effective is that vaccine going to be? Okay, so if we start thinking about um, Omicron and you know people, those wheat shorts, why did it go drop $12 yeah. a barrel? And I think this is all to do with the financialization of the oil market, right? And, and really it's, it's, it's drawing from the fears from last year, mm. okay? And then also at, you know, we were trading around 80, maybe just sub 80, but at 80, 75, 70, 65, and 60, those round $5 numbers, you have huge option positions in the marketplace that swap dealers have sold. Now, if a swap dealer sold that option, it, it, it may well be Delta Gamma hedging. It may have a residual risk that it needs to hedge. Certainly, as the market drops, it needs to sell into that market really quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think back to what I mentioned about the SPR release of 50 million barrels, the headline news for this was seemingly bearish, but actually it's not because that oil gets dribbled out over a course of three, three to six months from the U United States. At each of those strike levels in the options markets, I really harken to this financialization of the oil market, what Onyx is so good at, is 150 million barrels. And in within minutes, hours, within the day on Friday, you're seeing these uh, swap participants having to sell yeah. because they need to protect their, their option so, positions. So, so that's, and that, that was what like basically long-term hedges, maybe speculators even, whatever it is. Uh, producers with yeah, the, 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 the that was what I was going to bring up because the one other key aspect of this has been oil's been allowed to rally effectively as strong as it has. Yes. Partly because there's been a real reluctance to be hedging on the producer side. And the shale oil companies have been very vocal about that. Uh, since kind of changed tactic, but they're saying, we're not gonna hedge. We wanna exercise restraint on production. We wanna benefit from the higher prices. Um, and I think the, around the world, there was a lack of pro uh, producer hedging generally. Now, obviously I can't know that for sure. And I wanted your opinion on that. But in a scenario which you have here, where everyone's saying 100, $120 oil, you know, what, what, what's the point of sell-side sell hedging if you're a producer? You think it's gonna go up and everyone's saying it, you're gonna believe it. But now you're in the part of the herd, so, so when you turn and there's a big narrative to kind of get rid of length and sell, you've also got the producer saying, we need to hedge right now, and there was probably quite a bit of a rush to hedge now, to add to those, to add those, to the, to those, add those, those options, yeah, and, absolutely. And now with oil still 70 for Brent, I mean, I would argue every time we're getting a rally, it, it's been sold into. I mean, for me, that would be a perfect time for producers to benefit. You know, 70 is still a high number historically. I, for, I think you're absolutely yeah. right, Greg. If I was sitting here with a pr production and I'm budgeting my, um, you know, my production for the coming budget period, I'm, I could wing it and hope, or I might think of buying a pearl option. And I think that's a really sensible thing, strategy to take. Um, or indeed blend that and take a delta position with a short swap position of maybe 30, 40% of my production, I would certainly be looking to, and I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, how can you not really? You're, you're just, we're in a great high price environment still, even yes. though it's come off from obviously the highs. I just don't see the story which says, nah, I just hold off and it keeps rallying. Having said that, there are a couple of surprising ones. Not sure if you've been following some of the more granular, for instance, propane. 
you know, Nat Gas is, has not cared about this sell-off at all. It's, no. it's continuing to rally, it's continuing to be strong. You would expect propane to be quite linked to that, but it's completely decoupled. We were saying this last week, but even more so now. And I guess the only conclusion there is hedges are really aggressively coming in, and that does seem to be what we're, that is what we're hearing. Very aggressive hedge side, sell side flow. But it's, it's very surprising because, you know, the prompt should be very tight. Swaps are more related to physical. I'm very surprised at that one particular thing. And as a hedger, I, I think I said that's the only one I'd be quite... I think you're right. I mean, yeah. what, I think what you're saying here, so just to, to, to summarise, I, I absolutely think you're right. Oil producers are going to certainly be, th be, be hedging. I think actually, even in consumers also are going to be thinking, we've had queries this morning about should I buy call options yeah, now? It yeah. might be a really good time, yeah. but yeah. I don't want to be too aggressive because we could be back at 15 bucks on Brent. I'm going to look yeah. a bit of, you know, I'm going to wish I hadn't gone quite so, you know, I hadn't, hadn't, hadn't ignited my powder too early, so to speak. Um, I think, so, you know, it's always this age-old question of timing. And I, I suppose, you know, timing's absolutely fundamentally critical. But at the end of the day, you've got to be prudent running a business. You want, you know, I always bring this back to my own position. If I have a, or, or, or the masses position, if I have a mortgage, do I want to be a floating interest rate or do I want to fix it when I'm first time buying? I'm going to fix it because I've got a finite income coming in, um, and uh, yeah, my salary coming in every month of X, and you know my biggest cost is my mortgage, and I don't want that floating around with with, with interest rates. So you know, there I'm budget controlling, and it's exactly the same for the oil producers, the airlines. So you just got to have that mindset of I fixed it. I don't care what everyone else is saying. It's done now. Move on. Yeah, I, I think so. To 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 fitted to to the stakeholder requirement and risk appetite of the stakeholders because every every oil producer, every company is different. Some are very conservative and some are very uh, you know um, you know um, uh, aggressive in terms of taking on risk and 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 and, and the way they approach. So there's always you know uh, there are a whole raft of solutions when you just talk about a swap. It's all about how you time when you pull that trigger, what tenor, what hedge ratios. So really interesting time, and 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 I don't think anyone, you know, no one. We all heard of Nostradamus. He couldn't really predict the future. No one can predict the future, right? And it's really an uncertain time. So I think if I'm, you know, an end consumer thinking about hedging forward, an oil producer, or even a trader on crude, I'm going to want to control because, you know, CFDs, for instance can move plus or minus a dollar. Yeah, you know, and at extreme times, they can be yeah. far more yeah. movement yeah. than that, just on very near-term risk. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to want so you, to you think we stay risk. volatile for the next couple of weeks at least? I think we really stay volatile. I think, I think there is, you know, it, it does depend on, on uh, vac whether Omicron can escape the vaccines or not. If it can escape the vaccines, we're really going to see uh, a, a return to 2010-20. If I'm in government in a country right now, Am I going to swing it and go, let's wait for the data, or would I actually think last year the countries that locked down hard and fast came out quicker? Mm. I'd be thinking about that. So, you know, something says to me, I think there's more downside in the short term. Mm. Those options. From a supply and demand perspective. From a supply and demand perspective yeah. from Omicron and also from the financialization, those, those, still think those options are still there. So yeah. it's, we've got. We've got 65 and 60 strike levels with 150 million barrels. That's three times the SPR release that could be released in seconds yeah. if we start trading through this, right? And, and, and potentially more production, more producer hedging. Yeah, that's yeah. Still, and, still and that, that too pushing down on the market. Absolutely. And a good thing I think will be to keep an eye on WTI 
WTI Brent, WTI Houston prices, WTI Midland prices, yes. because that will give you an indication if, if it starts to dislocate from the Brent markets and wider markets, clearly the concentration of selling is, is happening in the US. And it might be a supply and demand thing also, but also it gives you quite a nice indication from a flow perspective where the selling is coming from. Okay, so if we get into more of the granular side of things, I mean, particularly on the, on the hedging, you, you've been an expert in this area for 20 plus years. Um, it's clearly a very different environment with ECG, but also the pandemic and, and everything we were just talking about. So what's, what's the current thinking and state of the financing market, market right now? It's a really good point. I, you know, I'm a real advocate of the net zero movement. I'm really pleased it's legislation. Um, so, you know, back if I wind back 10, 15 years ago, there were a raft, a plethora of banks that would invest asset-backed financing of crude flows. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, you can't get to net zero without crude. And, and, you know, the whole economy is all about, it's lubricated through financing, right? So if you don't have financing, you, you grind things to a halt. So we can't actually get to net zero without lubrication and oil trade continuing. You know, so that, what, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Is it, is it we need the oil to stop burning coal, for instance, and work it? Yeah, that yeah, that's, 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 yeah, that's a great transition. So, you know, we put coal, coal's right up there in, in real pollution emissions mm. and it's CO2 it, uh, equivalent emissions. Um, so oil's slightly cleaner, LPG's even cleaner, LNG's even cleaner, especially LNG. So just work, working, working your way down yeah, there. Yeah. But, but, you know, trade doesn't work without banks financing that physical parcel or moving from one place to other, and that also doesn't happen, the bank doesn't do that asset-backed deal if, if there isn't a lot of clarity that Onyx brings to the value of that oil through the swap markets. Mm. So it's, it's really, you know, Onyx, the banks, really help and facilitate that with, of course, the trader critically here and the supply and, and, and the demand. But that oil's got to get somewhere, be refined, and then it's got to be shipped. The product, the end product, the diesel, the, the fuel oil's got to be shipped. You know, Rampion, the great big offshore wind farm in the North Sea, was built, and it's two or three years ago by Eon. That couldn't have been built without ships that were dropping right, and yeah, dredging, yeah. right? Dropping the wind farm. So you can't actually you can't actually build this stuff without burning oil at the moment, right? Yeah. And that's the point. And, and you know, it will come where that's not not the case. And, and that, that's going to happen, but it's not next year or the year after. So the point is, with the ESG environment, the banks and the focus for the you know, task force for network, uh, the network for greening the financial system, within that ESG movement that's led by um, the UN's climate force, they are giving KPIs to the banks to say, you must finance this area. So they are now diverting to meet their KPIs into financing solar, wind, as they should, of course, do that. It means that they don't want to be financing oil. So around that, that creates a friction within oil. And Onyx is really stepping up to the plate because it's, it's working to help traders solve that problem. For instance, you know, by giving them access to a very simple good financing solutions that allow them to mitigate their price risk on, for instance, Brent CFDs, you know, which is a really easy, low bar way to facilitate that whole process at the end of the day. But you're saying, so it, it's a, there's still the need as ever, if not more, to fight to get 
uh, financing and, and, and lines of credit. Uh, absolutely. But the banks are very reluctant, so where are you going to get it from? It's becoming more private, more localised, and yes. things like that. And that's absolutely, that's, that's that's absolutely right. And if you put that in the context as well, last year there was a 15 million barrel destruction of demand, so we're 85 million barrels, we're back up to 100, 101 million right now. And, and, and that is scheduled to increase still to help us get to net zero and build the wind farms, the solar farms, and so on and so forth, the biorefineries and so on and so forth, and dig out the raw materials you need to build an EV vehicle, mm. you know, that, the batteries, various different mined products from around the world. So does this, does this have an impact on, on oil markets then? Because you know, if you, the financialization is only really growing in oil swaps and oil futures, but yet maybe possibly from what you're saying, the, the impact can be slightly less hedging and more speculation, so it's actually net kind of a more volatile for markets and maybe less hedging is going to happen from what you're saying? Or? Possibly. You, you might well be right. I, I absolutely do believe to get to net zero we will experience a huge increase in volatility. We've seen it in that gas. You mentioned that earlier. You know, absolutely this year, you know, a huge increase in LNG costs and also at the same time a huge increase in decarbonisation. Um, so to decarbonise the, the EU ETS carbon allowances, the compliance carbon market, mm. that has gone up to $70, $70, 70 euros I should say, per metric tonne. A year and a half ago it was 15, mm -hmm. right, so, so it's, that's increased. The offset market, so the voluntary market, that's gone from five for sort of nature-based to, to $16 a tonne, so that's triple. Just what you said before. that space. Yeah, it just it really frustrates me a bit when you were like, hearing that in a way of just what you were saying before, like politicians talking about the oil price, particularly in the US, they need to see the price as low as possible so that consumers are happy. Um, but they're not, they're not, the things that they focus on, they need to look at, there's a physical market and there's, there's the, there's a derivative market which these days, the futures market is, is the benchmark for the physical price and physical is just traded at a differential to that. So the, the derivative market wanging around with its own mechanisms, own dy dynamic, there's never an appreciation of that. So. If this is the case, right, banks, stop financing this, stop financing commodities. Okay, so there's no hedging, so no one can hedge. So you have way more volatility from speculation. Is that a good thing? Is that actually what you want? We're going to be using the oil anyway. All you've done is stop them being financed and, and going to more, I don't know, spurious versions of financing and things like that. So it's not a good thing to restrict it, but it is what it is, right? I mean, we, we are in this environment, I guess. Yes. Good for us if we're finance providers, but it's just... It's interesting hearing you say that because the knock-on effect on actually the oil price is frustrating. I know we were just talking earlier, not just about on a slight tangent, uh, the energy secretary in the US laughing about you know her oil, uh, sorry gas prices are high because oil prices are high, and that's because OPEC are a cartel. It's a complete lack of appreciation, understanding of what drives financial markets. It's not just you increase supply and then the, then the oil god pushes oil prices down. It doesn't work like that. It's positioning, it's what makes up the constituents of the oil market price rather than just the physical, right? Yeah, and to your point, you know, let's not forget Donald Trump asked OPEC to cut 18 months ago to support the oil shell patch because the price of oil was too low. Now Biden's asking them to increase production. But either way, it's, it's still like, you know, something as deep as what you were saying is, but hang on, if you want a smooth, orderly market to get to this transition, you actually need financing still in place and Absolutely. something like that. Yeah, it, it's frustrating to just see this kind of, I don't know what you call it, but it's, it's brashness effectively. And, and, and I guess you might argue that from the banks it's nothing to do with effectively a moral decision. They have, they have to do what they have to do and it's about where is my capital best spent. 
and they're probably getting a better return, maybe an ESG investment type thing, I'm not sure, but. I, I think it's important to say from what you're saying, yes, I agree with you. I think commodities, carbon, oil, power, that energy space, all of those different elements are going to continue to be hugely volatile. Mm. For me, I'm actually still very bullish mm. of the, the medium long term, so I'm talking six to a year out. I, I, I think that inflationary pressure driven by the ESG movement um, will we'll, we'll continue to pressurise commodity prices, but in the short term, this, this, this market looks very weak. Um, I think the, the lubrication of financing is, is absolutely fundamental to the market space. And hedging and liquidity providing, so the key thing that Onyx, because Onyx doesn't trade physical oil, it only trades financial oil, and, and providing that liquidity provision in all of those commodities is going to be hugely important. So I can see that journey for market makers in oil into, including Onyx, into, into that uh, carbon space. Um, and, and supporting that, that process because it's all so interlinked. But if you're a hedger right now, I mean, you, let's say you are bullish and generally on the underinvestment side of things from the physical making its way into the market price, I mean, you, you've got a lot to think about. But I think the one, the, as you said before, we're not Nostradamus, even Nostradamus wouldn't be able to call it. No, so he didn't. <laughs> yeah, so what are, we, what are we gonna do? What is your mindset? I think you have to be all about volatility and managing volatility, like more yes. so now than ever before. Is yeah, I, I think you're right, and of course the volatility right now, where is that? But you're, you're more in a, in a position to say this than me, you've been doing this, you've been in oil yes. for 30 years. Is this the most volatile environments and tricky environments I'd you've seen? I'd say or? it's not far, yeah, I, I think it's, oil's never been easy, and it's always great, it's great fun, and there are so many factors, you can never cross the chasm right, you're trying to build the bridge. And get and that next bit of snippet of information that safely builds the bridge you can cross. It's always a leap of faith at the end of the day to a certain extent. Mm. I think volatility is an absolute measure of volatility. The option volatility market's not the highest it's been, but it's not far off it. Yeah, but there's, there's, there is that metric. Yeah. But I think volatility in terms of uncertainty yes. is... I, I think mean, this is possibly yeah. the most, most tricky, right, from that point of view. Oh, I totally sense. agree with you, yeah. And so if we look at it, We've got Jeffries, JP Morgan saying 2022 end 2023, we're going to be at $150 or this. If, if market <laughs> returns to normal, normality, yeah, yeah. You know, basically vaccines are, are totally effective and we get a pill that solves our problem. Um, uh, and primarily led because of this undersupply ESG movement. And then, of course, Omicron, if it has a high vaccine escape, well, we're back to 15 bucks. Yeah, so I've never seen 15, 150 yeah, days. So to your point, yeah. yes. The outlook is very uncertain. Where does that leave me in terms of if I'm an oil producer, a, a trader, a supplier of crude or whatever it might be, I need to have access to finance to hedge because I could go bust. And just steady as she goes, right? Nothing yeah. too non-vanilla, you know? I, I think clear. it is taking more optionality yeah. for, for, you know, so, so buying call options, they're yeah. going to be expensive or buying puts. And, and taking that uh, to, to, to really insure against the real extreme tail move. Which is actually quite likely now. It's not like a well, it it's not fear, fearing, yeah. it's genuine. Yeah. Great, thanks. Uh, so if we just move away from headlines and, and talk a bit more about uh, some lifestyle type of things I wanted to ask you. I mean, you've been doing this for 30 years. How have you kept 
fit. You are a fit guy. I know you said earlier I'm a bit fat, but I think you're looking good. And so, uh, how, how have you done it? Because even, well, you, you answer that first. But. Well, yeah, okay. So, uh, I mean, you know, I kind of come off the boil a bit with the lack of commuting. So how I, how I keep fit is incorporating my my fitness into my commute. So it's a routine. It becomes a total routine. Mm. Um, so, yeah, for instance, today we come into the studio, I cycle for the, a piece that I thought I was capable of cycling without getting too sweaty. Um, and, 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 and that's really the secret. And a full suit as well. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, a, and a bubble hat on my Brompton. Um, so, you know, I think that's, that's a, a key thing. And also, for me, it's really important to set goals, a, bit, a little bit like in business, right, having your KPIs. Mm. You need clear, defined, achievable goals. So I'll, I... I, I you know, in the past, and I don't have any set at the moment, I'm, actually I do have one set for next year, but in the past I set myself something that's slightly out of my comfort zone, mm. like swimming 10 kilometres down a, a river. Um, Casual. Trying to get there. It's a very Julian answer. I have set KPIs <laughs> for my personal <laughs> fitness goals, pre-agendas. No, that's good. But we're both, it's like, I know I, I shouldn't really have had an issue so long. I, I slipped my disc and I, and I, okay, it was from playing football and, and doing a lot of CrossFit, things like that, but... I definitely attribute a lot of it to sitting down way too much over the years. I think you're absolutely like, right. You know, I'm only yeah. 31, but 10 years of that, like 16-hour days, just sit cramped. I yeah. mean, that's something. You've, you've had disc issues as well, right? Probably not for the same reason. But yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a big factor in it as well, actually. My, my disc went in 2016. My Three of my discs went in 2016 when I had Zach, my youngest son, on my shoulders. Oh, right. um, and um, But it was something, uh, he didn't cause it, it was just that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. But I think you're absolutely right. Sitting in this position, your glutes go to sleep. You think, for me, I always thought if I'm cycling, my glutes must be really yeah. strong. Yeah. Actually, they don't get any exercise right. through cycling at all. Right. So for me, and I don't do it all the time, I'm not going to sound like I do this regularly, but, but when it was really bad, someone said to me, do squats on one knee, keeping your leg vertical. So your, 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 your calf, your knee to your ankle, that stays vertical, and you squat down on that, that fires your glutes. Yeah, yeah. And that pulls your that's back into shape, you. makes you this. And that's actually really helped, along with swimming. I mean, we're, we're, doing, we're trying to get the traders to do occasional yoga. We're ringing uh, yoga in the morning, like 6.30. They seem to like it. And the one thing for me, being, being Pilates, like to fix this whole disc issue, make sure it doesn't come back, are really strengthening. Same thing you're saying, lower core glutes, because yeah. you yeah. just screw it up when you're, when you're trading long yeah. hours. Any, any job in oil, it's going to be long hours, geographical, yeah. international. So yeah. I think it's impressive to see that, you know, you're so fit at your age, having had such a long career. But I think, you know, not to condescend, but anyone, you've got to get, it, you've got to get a handle on it, right? Because it's Yeah, just you gonna, do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you do. And I think it's when... Yeah, you know, someone said to me during COVID. For me, someone had mentioned to me you could either choose to have been a hunk, a drunk, or a chunk. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 actually, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't get my. I didn't change my routine. So my commute was my routine. So that went out the window. Right. So you know, and so I picked up much more on swimming when it was possible to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so to your point, your your you know Pilates or swimming both really actually strengthen your core. And that's critical with back issues. Yeah, yeah. absolutely fundamental. And age is just a number, right? It's a bigger number. Yeah, it is just a number, right? So that brings us to the end of this episode of Oilcast. Be sure to tune in next week where we'll go over more oil swap news. And also, please do check out our new innovative Flux eBrokerage platform. Um, you know, that allows you to trade uh, cleared oil swaps 
right across the market. And also check out our website for our other innovative products, specifically uh, our CFD Brent OTC products. Um, thank you very much. You can also follow us on social media by searching Flux Liquidity Hub on Instagram and LinkedIn Flux-Live. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.